baskets, and sometimes they're baskets. I think most of the time they're baskets here. I'm the pastor. I should know what's going on. Okay. Merry Christmas. I'm glad that you're here. All the kids, I'm glad that you're in here today. I'm going to start the way that I usually start on Christmas Eve by showing you some of my favorite pictures. And we're going to end today the same way we usually end on Christmas Eve, by lighting candles and being reminded that Jesus is the light among us. So if you don't have a candle, uh, make sure that you get one for, for the end when we sing Silent Night together. And I hear that there, I see a banjo on stage. So uh, I think we're going into Charlie Daniels right after. So it should be fantastic. Okay, devil went down to Georgia. All right. <clears throat> Some of my favorite things at Christmas are, are things that I just go back and I remember and I look at. Um, my favorite Christmas, and for those of you that have not been here on a Christmas Eve before, be assured that next year I will share the same pictures and tell the same jokes. It happens every year. And for me, it doesn't get old. My daughter asked me earlier this week, hey, are you going to show those pictures again? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And she's like, oh, good, good. I was like, yeah. My favorite Christmas decorations that I see out on the lawns all over town is this one right here. Do you know what this is? Manger scene, yeah, but if you put eyes on them, it looks like it's two dinosaurs fighting over a table saw. Yeah, yeah, some of you are like, he told that last year and I didn't get it, and you, somebody's going to help you out. Another favorite uh, Christmas uh, memory of mine is this picture of this kid with Santa Claus back in like 1960. Look at this guy. Look at Santa, look at the eyebrows on Santa. Isn't that fantastic? This is my dad, not Santa Claus, but the little kid clutching his heart on Santa's lap. I think there's a close-up. Yeah, there it is. I've got several questions. Where is Santa looking? <laughs> Number one, what, what is he looking at? And secondly, uh, he's looking at what? He's looking angry. He's looking angry. Yeah, well, he, yeah, I don't know. Why doesn't his eyebrows match his beard? That's another question. Second thing, why is my dad clutching his heart like that at such a young age? Uh, Santa's scary. Yeah, pretty much. That picture was taken 114 years ago. And, uh, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. My dad's sitting right over there. He's, he's, he's no older than like 90 something. He's great. Anyway, some of my favorite pictures, he's not 90 something. I don't know how old he is, but anyway, we're, we're taking Christmas and we're looking at things and you know, one, one of the things I really want for us and especially for, for you kids I don't want us to miss out on the wonder and, like, I don't know if it's the magic, but the excitement around Christmas. I don't want us to miss on the feelings of excitement. And, and I don't know about you, but everywhere I go, and even sometimes in church, it feels like there's this gray cloud that we're just kind of hacking through to get through the day. Anybody, anybody connect with that and be like, yeah, I've, it just kind of feels heavy a lot of the time. All right, so there's four of us. Seriously, like, nobody else is feeling that? It just feels kind of heavy. And, and the thing about Christmas that I really want to happen more and more is, is to be lifted out of that kind of fog of life. And, and we've been preaching and we've been teaching through the gospel of John, the first chapter. And we've been taking verses week by week in this Advent season. And we're being reminded that Christ not only came, but Christ is coming again. And when he comes again, he's, everybody's going to see him. And today we're on this verse, and the Shanks read it earlier. It's this beautiful verse out of John chapter 1, verse 14. I want to read it from you. I want to read it for you from 
uh, a version of the Bible called the message because I, I, like, I like so much how some of this is phrased. But the same words are used in every translation of this verse for us. And the words that we're going to be zeroing in on are glory. Say that out loud, glory. glory. What does glory mean? What, like, what, what is that? Like, we say glory and instantly all the artists, the, the people that have artistic, like, premonitions or whatever, they're like, yes, glory. I know what that means. It feels like it's the same people that, like, go to Burning Man and they understand what that's all about. You know, glory. What is, what is glory? I want to focus in on it. Verse 14 reads this way in Uncle Eugene's paraphrase of the Bible. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, that one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I don't know when the last time you moved into a neighborhood was. For us, it was back in 2020, in May or June of 2020. We moved into a neighborhood, and we moved into a neighborhood here in Albemarle. And if you've never lived in Albemarle before, and you moved to Albemarle, you learn something about the people that you move into the neighborhood with. They're suspicious of you. They are. And, and yeah, yeah. Some, some of us have like not lived here and then we, we moved here. I grew up in Albemarle. Like I was born here. And then I left and then I came back. And it didn't matter that I was here before Walmart. I was here during the Sky City days, baby. Somebody's like, raise the roof for Sky City. Yeah. I hope, I hope they take Ollie's out and put Sky City back, you know? Some of you are like, no, God, no. <laughs> when you move into the neighborhood, we moved in with our, this big truck of all of our stuff. We came, we lived in Baltimore, Maryland for like 13 years, and we, we, we moved in, and we saw, we saw a pattern over the next few days. The same cars started driving by our house slowly. And Canton Road, where we live, it's like 45, 55 mile an hour. People usually go like 80, but that's, that's what it's supposed to be. And people were slowing down looking. And then we had this like yard sale because, you know, when you move, you discover stuff that you had that you didn't know you had. And so then you're like, we got to sell this junk. And so you put it out on the lawn. And we had so many, many people from all around the neighborhood come to our yard sale. And they didn't buy nothing. You know what? They told us. We just wanted to see who y'all were. And you know what, um, with all the, you know, I don't think the Dry family was glorious enough for some of them. Like we moved into the neighborhood and there wasn't much glory. It's a unique word, glory. If you, if you, you think about it, I wonder what images come to mind for you. If you just do a Google search on, on images, these are some of the things that come up. It's a lot of sunlight. It's a lot of hands and there's a cross and there's beams of light. These are the pictures. What does that mean? What is, what is glory? This word, this, this word that we see suns and crowns and hands and light and beams, this is the word that scripture is using to describe God being among us. This is the word. He made his dwelling among us. It's this phrase in the Bible about God being with us that was used from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Used in Exodus 25 where the Israelites were instructed to, to build an elaborate tent to hold the presence of God so his glory could be carried with them. 
In Joel chapter 3, the prophet foretold of a coming time when you shall know that the Lord your God's glory is with you. He dwells in Zion. In Zechariah 2, he said the prophet preaches the sermon following exile in Babylon where Israel should sing and rejoice because the Lord dwells in your midst. In Ezekiel 4, a picture of the perfected temple. This is the place, this is my throne where I will dwell, where my glory will dwell in the midst of the people. This word, glory, this word, dwell, be with us. Glory is attached to God being with us, to dwelling with us. The Hebrew word for that is, uh, a lot of us call it Shekinah. That's That's an Americanized way of saying it. Um, I've been corrected before by people who actually speak Hebrew, and they say it's actually pronounced Sakina. Sakina. And I'm like, well, Shekinah sounds better. Right? No, it's Sakina. And it's widely used to talk about the presence of God in the Jewish scriptures, in the first part of the Bible, that Old Testament. It's, it's a synonym. It's a, it's, it's, it's a use that is used, inter, it's a word that is used interchangeably to talk about the light of God's presence. His being among us. Light spilling over because there's too much light to be contained that we are now illuminated by that light. And John uses this word of glory and dwelling among us. He uses this deliberately. This Hebrew word spoken by the the Jews, Sakina. And John pins all of his words not in Hebrew but in Greek. You know what the Greek word for this glory is? Eskina. Two different languages have words that sound the same. They're not the same, but they sound the same. They have the same light-filled meaning. But there's a problem. The Sakina of the Hebrew, the Sakina of the Greek, the thunder and lightning and the rituals of the tabernacle, the splendor and the architecture of worship in the temple, the cherubim that cover the Ark of the Covenant, all the wonder and light, all of this that the Old Testament and the Old Covenants talked about is now in the background to this Jesus who is being born in Bethlehem. And we don't see the same splendor and glory and magnificence. We don't see the temple that is elaborately built. We don't see the light. Now, now he does have a light because, you know, the star but we don't see the splendor of fire. We, Jesus reveals his glory in a much different way, and we've got to reimagine what glory means. Because now that Jesus is among us, it is God in the flesh among us. And his glory is shown to us in much different ways. His glory is brought to us in human ways. He was born in a food trough. He was laid, his first crib, his first cradle, in a bowl where animals eat. It's very unimpressive. His parents weren't homeless, but they didn't have a place to stay in their travels. There was no hotel. There was no place. There was no baby shower. There was no procession. <laughs> they did have the star. And Jesus, they weren't, his parents weren't like homeless, but they were poor. And poor people often feel dismissed and ignored. And Jesus, if you follow his life and you look just at the history, he was executed and he died as a criminal. 
And normally we would say, what a waste of a life. Dying naked on display in humiliation. Laid in a grave, powerless and undignified. His family didn't have a grave for him. He was given one. In one of the most critical moments of Jesus' life, John captures these words. If you, if you go over to verse 12, Jesus is praying and he says these words. Now my soul is troubled. He knows that the cross is on the way. Now my soul is troubled and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? Save me from the cross? He's like, no, for this reason I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, and what did the voice say? It says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. John mentions the glory of Jesus in these ways. The brightness of God's presence right here on earth in Stanley County clearly has something to do with Jesus approaching humanity and all of the mess and all the tears and all the stuff that we don't get right. Approaching death and burial. And this does not feel like glory. This does not feel like lifting me up at Christmas. This doesn't feel very Christmassy at all. Because glory, as we define it, is more like fame and recognition. Bright lights. And these are the things that we're after. But this glory that follows Jesus seems not quite like glory. It seems the opposite. Because this glory of Jesus is followed by sacrifice. And here's my question for us. Can the message of the gospel be any more clear? Can can the message of the good news be any more clear? It's not the message that we get and we get more and more and consume more and we get more. The message is we become less and less, and he becomes more and more. Less of this humanity, less, not that humanity is like God created us, but this is the message of the gospel, that his kingdom comes on this earth. His kingdom comes in this earth. We, instead of grabbing tightly to everything that's around us, instead of trying to get more and have more and more and more, the message of the gospel is that we are filled by something that we don't have to grapple for. Jesus said crazy things like this. He who loses his life will save it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because of the glory, the light, the fanfare of Jesus, because his glory resides among us. That means that his glory is more attached to words we don't often embrace. Rejected. Humiliation. Pain. The brightness of God brings light to what this world despises or ignores. And this is hope. (laughs) Because many of us feel that we're never going to be bright enough for Jesus or good enough for Jesus. We got family members who look at us and they just shake their head and they tisk, tisk, tisk at us. We have religious people in town who see us and immediately think, not good enough. 
Many of us feel we're never going to be bright like the glory of Jesus. And when we realize that it's the light and the glory of Jesus that brings hope to our humanity, peace to our anxious minds, joy to our depressed thoughts, love to our calloused, cold hearts, to those dark places. This is the glory of Jesus, that he lights up the dark. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you embrace it? This is what happens when he moves into the neighborhood, when his Shekinah dwells among us. His glory uses the very life that we can't stand, the very pain that we walk through, the very humanity that we wallow in, and he uses this for glory. This is such good news. Because regardless of how many of us are willing to raise our hands and say, yeah, I'm going through hard time, here's the truth. More of us have that dark cloud of fog around us than we would like to admit. More of us would rather put on a veneer and sing, I don't know how we sing angels we have heard on high without a smile on your face, okay? You sing in Gloria and make it like a 17-syllable word. It's hilarious. We would, we would rather just stay at the surface and not allow the tears or the pain or that stuff to erupt from within. We would rather suppress the darkness and the cloudiness and the fog around us because the people around us don't deserve to have their Christmases darkened by mine. Gang, we don't have to wait until we die to experience the glory of God. Because in this human life, he lights us up. Those among us with the saddest stories, the most human stories, I want you to know something. You carry a brighter light of the glory of God because in the middle of all that darkness, he is with you. He lights it up. So Merry Christmas. With all the mess and the tears and the imperfections around you, Merry Christmas. When it's all so dark and you don't feel like it can be lit up anymore, Merry Christmas. Father, we love you and we trust you and we recognize that you're with us. We may not feel like it sometimes, but we know that you're with us. And we like these lights to be reminded to hold on to truth that not even the darkest dark is stronger than the smallest light. And your glory shines around us because you've moved into the neighborhood. Amen.